You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, brought to you in association with Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs. Getting noticed isn't always easy, because there's so much noise! But at Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, we make it easy. With standout signs, business cards, shop fronts, banners, leaflets, vehicle graphics, the lot. Showcasing your products, advertising your brand, and getting business noticed. So, what can we do for you? Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club. And like a long-term partner, we sometimes get fed up with them when we have them around too much, but when they're gone, we miss them and we realise just how much we love them. Isn't that right, Mark Donaldson? Wow. What, what's the what's the lyric to that song? You say it best when you say nothing at all. There's not much you can respond to that and not get into <laughs> trouble. If, if various partner, partners are listening. I've got a better microphone this week. I'm not at the tennis. I'm back from the tennis. And I have decided that I'm going to try and remain as positive as possible um, because we've got a new, a new structure in place in the technical area. So until it all goes to shit then there's plenty of time when that happens for us to be negative. So I'm going to try and stay as positive as possible. So please, you and our guest this week, can you be positive as well? Or are we going down a preordained route? I've I've got plenty off my chest last time. I think we were negative enough last time. So we might as well try and go the the other way. Um, this time. So I am Laurie Dunsire, of course, joined by Mark Donaldson back on the podcast. And we are delighted to be joined by Scott McIntosh again. And um, like uh, Jordy Mitchell once sang, do, is it one of these cases for you, Scott, that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? We're fed up of hearts and then we have a weekend without them and and you start to pine for, for Tynecastle and screaming at those players. Or we need a big yellow taxi to take away. So. <laughs> I don't know. I had I had quite a an interesting weekend. I caught up with a few documentaries that I wanted to watch that I haven't had any time to uh, to sort of cover recently. So so yeah, I actually found it to be quite therapeutic. Not <laughs> not talking much about the football. I'm I'm very detached from international football. I did watch both of Scotland's matches over the last few days, but I don't have any sort of real emotional attachment, regardless of whether they win, lose, or draw. So I, I'm able to sort of watch them from almost my own sort of little bubble. Uh, and I quite enjoy that. I have to be honest, people that get as heavily invested in international football as they much do with their clubs, they really aren't giving themselves much of an opportunity to, to kind of unwind during the season. Uh, so I have, I've actually enjoyed it, but I'm also, I'm also looking forward uh, to, to the fact that we do have another game. I don't know whether I'm saying that because... I'm actually going to be away this weekend. I'm heading down to Centre Parks with the family, so I'm not actually going to be there to sample the atmosphere. So maybe that's why I'm feeling so positive this week. 
Okay. Well, you you mentioned some things I was going to get into, so it's, it's good to talk about, you know, international football and, and anything else that people might have been up to over the weekend. Mark, were you someone who is giving some international excitement or were you um, taking it easy and kicking back and trying not to get too worked up about football like Scott? Well, not knowing what the weather's been like back in, in Scotland, over here in kind of New York in the northeast, and it's getting to that kind of hurricane season where September usually brings some crazy weather. So I was able to watch Cyprus-Scotland on Friday because the match I was meant to be commentating on at the US Open was in a rain delay. Um, finished up at the US Open Friday night. Saturday, I was meant to be commentating on Hartford Athletic against Rio Grande Valley um, in the USL. And we played seven and a half minutes. And then there was a bolt of lightning. So the manager um, was told by the referee to take the players off. And four and a half hours later, there was still no play and, and the game was was abandoned. So basically every time there's a lightning strike within eight miles, there's a half hour delay to the res- to the restart. So my Saturday night was, was spent um, waiting and hoping and looking at um, the weather forecast. So I'm just trying to think the worst kind of weather. And I know we we were looking at maybe what we're going to talk about. We'll preview the Aberdeen game this week and what else will we talk about. I can maybe start you off straight away, um, both you and Scott, and I can dive in as well, with the worst weather conditions that you have been part of while watching Hearts. I can remember one game. It got abandoned at Fir Hill. It would have been... yes. 95, I want to say. Pretty sure Tommy McLean would have been manager and it was the worst conditions. Like, it was it was hellish. There was also a, a midweek game at Fur Park towards the late 90s. It got called off at half-time. I think we were maybe 1-0 down and it was just so sodden. Like, there was just, it was, they were literally just swimming in the pitch, let alone playing any sort of football. Those are the two that kind of strike out to me straight away. Can't really think of any other ones. Those are the two that see Cybrox in the championship. That I think oh, yeah, was. God. Was that yeah. <laughs> but I, was, I actually um, slipped, on my, slipped on my backside on the way to the ground, and then most of the players were slipping on their backsides during the game as well, and it lasted, what, it was like 15, 16 minutes or something Yeah, like well, that. I was 15 minutes late to that game. I got in just in see time anything? to see... Well, I got in just in time to see Ozturk hit the bar, from about 30 yards out. And then I think the game got called off about two or three minutes after that. We might be around about the 20 minute mark. And then our bus windows got uh, smashed in. So it was, a, it was an interesting trip. I'm, I'm amazed I actually forgot that one. Too busy thinking back to the 90s. Yes, well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stick, we'll try and stay away from the weather. But uh, worth mentioning a few things we've come out there. So international duty will, will relate it to Hearts, um, Australia drew 2-2 with Mexico in a friendly, played in Arlington, Texas. Uh, Nathaniel Atkinson and Kai Rose played 90 minutes. Uh, it was 2-2 draw, as I mentioned. Harry Suter and Martin Boyle from the spot, put Australia 2-0 up before uh, Mexico pulled it back to 2-2. The interesting thing about this one, Mark, um, is the fact that Kai Rose played a different role, didn't he? He did. He played it left back. And Natty Atkinson played it right back. Thank you for chucking that to me straight away. So if Cochrane 
Alex Cochran, who by all accounts has not broken his ankle, but does have a an ankle injury, so status unknown for the weekend. If he's unable to play, obviously Kingsley is the next option. But what's going on with Stephen Kingsley? Um, the injury against Pauk hasn't really played much, if at all, since. So we're, we're looking for a left back. So you might get your wish of Toby Sibbick at centre-back. But you if might you're looking with, uh... for a left back from Australia, <laughs> uh, God, doesn't, his, his name doesn't, doesn't fit, unfortunately. I don't know. Change his name. Um, look, I, I don't, I don't. I mean, I, do you know what? Maybe being away, and listen, reading some of the comments from um, from Cami, who didn't feature, but was still part of the the squad, and from Natty, and from from Kai Rolls as well, and, and their their social media accounts. I just think maybe being away, different voices, familiar voices, friends from back home. Maybe that's a nice reset. Maybe maybe this is the this is the reset week for everybody at uh, at the football club, and and maybe this is the equivalent of Toby Civic against RFS at home um, when the crowd were on their feet. Maybe that's what we'll get now. We've had an international reset, and we'll see the Kai rolls that we bought, and not the Kai rolls that we've seen in recent weeks. Maybe, maybe potentially, possibly. What do you think? Maybe it's I. Maybe it's no. We'll, um, we'll 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 see what happens with that one. Uh, Kenneth Vargas, incidentally, made his full debut for uh, Costa Rica, coming on as a substitute against the United the United Arab Emirates. Although they were four one down at that point, and they finished four one down. That was a full time scoreline. Neither Xander Clark or Lawrence Shanklin got any minutes on Scotland duty. Uh, Yutaro Oda though did appear for the Japanese under twenty two team. And it was in the second of their three AFC uh, under-23 Asian Cup qualifiers against Palestine, where he created a goal um, set up Shota Fujio. Um, although, from what Barry Anderson's article in the evening, you suggested Yutaro Oda wasn't overly pleased with his own performance in that game, which he spoke on the Japanese website afterwards. You can get the full story on the Edinburgh Evening News, which I'm apparently suddenly promoting. I don't know how it got to that point. Um, anyway, yeah, so we'll move on from international football and we'll have a wee chat about what else happened at the weekend before we crack on with some Hearts-related stuff. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. So forget about Australia, Mexico and Scotland playing on all that small fry stuff because at the weekend, I don't know if Mark would have wanted me to mention this, but it was the um, it was the, the scarves around the funnel derby. We don't have to go there, you dick. At, at the Olive Bank in Musselburgh, it's Musselburgh Athletic hosted Pennycook, and it was okay, a bit okay, of a doing, okay. bit of right, a doing, but a four nil up at half time. It's right, six yeah. two winners, right. So Menon beat Hearts 6-2 in 85-86 and Hearts went on to have a fabulous season. <laughs> so, no, we don't need... I thought we were going to talk about Scott getting his days mixed up and going to the Masters the wrong day. Oh, yeah, I was I was going to ask about the Masters. I didn't get a chance to watch it myself, but uh, Scott, hopefully you did watch it because, yes, someone pointed <laughs> out after the podcast last time you were telling everyone, watch the Masters, it's on Sunday. Um, and it turns out after we'd recorded and put the podcast out, it, it wasn't on Sunday. Yeah, it was Saturday. I'll, I'll... I wish I could say that I was just slipping that in there to make sure that people were actually listening to us. Uh, but no, I was definitely just getting my days mixed up. Uh, so I ended up watching the the Masters on the, the Saturday evening and then I went to the uh, the women's match on the, on the Sunday. 
I saw some clips from the Masters. Uh, we'll probably want to talk about the results too much. Hearts didn't have the best of tournaments, not that it matters too much, but um, the carpets were a bit of a problem. Well, to be fair, we were actually lucky to have a team by the end of it. So, yes. <laughs> Pasquale Bruno went AWOL. Uh, not for the first time. I'm pretty sure he's no showed something. Bef- was it Lockie's testimonial that he didn't show up to? There was something in the last couple of years that he was supposed to come to and he didn't. Uh, Mary Taul pulled up with an injury, uh, so they had to rope in Gary Wales at the last minute. He didn't even have a name or badge uh, or number, sorry, on the back of his strip, uh, but he actually done pretty well. Scored a couple of good goals. Uh, yeah, it was it, it was funny. I mean, naturally. Most of the focus was on Celtic and Rangers, as it normally will be. But Hearts and Hibs both both actually acquitted themselves pretty well. Hibs got to the final, and uh, Ryan Stevenson scored a, a few rakers. To be fair, uh, reminded me why I loved him so much when he was a Hearts player. You know, not much movement, uh, but definitely when he had the ball at his feet, he could definitely make things happen. Still, who would you rather have in their prime at Hearts, Ryan Stevenson or Lee Miller? Oh, Lee Miller. I'm tempted to say Lee Miller because I think there's been a few occasions in Hart's recent past over the last 10, 15 years where having Lee Miller would have vastly improved their team, if I think. Yeah. So Shabba Laszlo's Hart's team, there's a really good example where having Lee Miller in that would have been the, the, the basically the final piece of the jigsaw when you think of the rest well, of that squad. A striker. Yeah, just a striker, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I also think probably... Probably coming in under Robbie Nielsen as well when we came back up that first time round. If you, if you think of some of the players that we we tried to use and it didn't quite work out, so Wanma was inconsistent, Connor Salmon didn't really click. Then yeah, he, he would have been a good player if I had round about that time as well. Uh, nothing against Ryan Stevenson, but I, I just uh, he never really cemented a a position for Hearts. And I think that's why it's probably difficult to to go for him over Lee Miller in that in that scenario. I think his importance when I think there was a maybe a couple of years when he was extremely effective for Aberdeen. Um, he scored his his goal tally was okay, but I think his all round play was was really good. He, he always I've got this recurring memory of seeing Lee Miller in particular against us because that's the games I was watching when he did the thing where he backed in, backed in, put his arms out and always seemed to get a free kick. Um, it always seemed to be the Lee Miller manoeuvre but I thought he kind of played that kind of spearhead role for Aberdeen very well when he was, not the entire time, I don't think he started that great and the end of his time with Aberdeen again he kind of petered off a little bit but some, it's the kind of position where I feel we've lacked quite a lot. You know, Shankland is, is a great kind of forward player for us now but we missed it for years didn't we having someone effective up top uh i mean elsewhere obviously we've talked about um the masters you mentioned the women's derby unfortunately they lost so we won't go into that too much detail but i did go to a game at the weekend so on sunday i mentioned this in the last podcast it was the johnny stewart testimonial oh, at new dundas park what was that how did mcgowan play mcgowan played it, it, he played very well i mean it was a game where you know, I don't think McGowan could really go up to full throttle given um, he was alongside some players who've not played much at all. I mean, uh, so it was Bonnie Rose Legends against Hearts Legends. Uh, obviously, when it's Legends, it's always a little bit of a asterisk beside that when you try and pull together a team. Uh, so Hearts had McGowan in there. They had Webster. They had 
Gary Naismith was playing left back, Jason Thompson at right back, Neil Janchik in the middle, Ryan Stevenson was there after playing at the Masters as well, Dylan McGowan played, Gary Glenn up top, Paul Gallagher was playing outfield, David Templeton as well, he's playing at Drum Chapel these days, isn't he? And um, we actually ended up with three people who've been on the podcast, uh, four, sorry, four podcast guests were involved. Do you know who they all were? So I know Lee McGregor came on, didn't he? Because he actually yeah. came quite close to scoring. Uh, I saw a video on. clip of that earlier today. Uh, so I remember Lee came on. Uh, obviously that was Gallagher. the one I wasn't sure if he'd followed it. Uh, you might have seen, yeah, McGregor, Lee McGregor came off the bench. And then Paul we Gallagher had... Because he was on shirts around the funnel, wasn't he? Paul Gallagher wasn't on shirts around the funnel, was he? Has he not been on, he not been on yet? No. I know they like the keepers because Jamie McDonald and Neil Jamie Alexander McDonald have been on. Neil's been on. Ah, okay. So uh, yeah, so we had um, Webster, we had Dylan, and... Ryan, obviously. I wasn't sure if he'd follow the fact that Lee, because I didn't realise Lee McGregor was in the squad until I was looking over at the bench when it's at half time. I was like, who's that again? I was like, wait a minute. That's Lee McGregor. <laughs> like, is that, why is he on the bench? And um, he came on, and he, you can tell he's an athlete. He certainly had the legs on a lot of people. Maybe not the, the football sharpness. But it was quite it was quite an entertaining game, actually. It was 4 4. Um, David Templeton cracked in a lovely free kick in the first half after Ryan was fouled edge of the box. Great finish from that. Neil Janicic scored a really lovely goal as well. Deft chip on his left foot. And uh, 4-3 to Bonnie McGrose in the closing moments. And Paul Gallagher, Hearts goalkeeping coach and former goalkeeper, forced at home to make it 4-4. So 700 people there. Uh, it was a good turnout. And it was a very nice day. And I took Callum along. So oh. the first time he's really watched any football. Got to see Ryan McGowan in the flesh. Got to meet him. Wasn't as bothered about meeting Ryan McGowan as a few other people who kept coming over to get autographs, but there you go. Callum's autograph? Yeah, and then and then, and then Ryan afterwards, yeah. Mm. So, um, no, it was good. Uh, shout out to Mark, who listens to the podcast, who was standing alongside me, watching the game. You, you mentioned Neil Jancic there. I remember many, many years ago when he was coming through the ranks. Craig Levine thought he would be a really good player in a league where that type of position got a lot of time on the ball rather than the hustle and bustle. I mean, funnily enough, the, the through ball for Phil Stamp at Easter Road is obviously memorable, but was there ever anything that either of you thought about Neil Janchik that you thought in a, in a, in a good team in a league where that position gets a lot of time on the ball, the deep line playmaker, did you ever see that or was that just hopeful? No, I think that's I think that's a fair shout. I, I suppose for younger listeners, the the player that you could probably say he was closest to in terms of playing style would, out of the sort of pre, you know current Hearts era would probably be Andy Irvin, uh, and and you could probably make a similar case for Andy. He's went abroad, and I think he's found a a tempo and a style of play that suits him. And I think that if there'd been more. More examples of that happening in Scotland 20 years ago, then maybe that's something that Neil Janchik would have done as well, because he certainly had the ability. He had a great left peg. Yeah. Uh, and he still showed that even when he sort of slowly moved down the league, leagues and that, but he never really managed to cement a place. I remember there was one particular sort of disciplinary issue. It was him and Graham Weir. Now, I'm pretty sure they went and played golf one day when they weren't supposed to. Yeah, Craig Levine. Did Craig Levine get them to run up this stack? 
run up the, the stairs with the golf clubs on the back. It's one of the things I remember about him. Yeah, you couldn't play 48 hours before. And um, yeah. I think Craig said he got Hoosty to phone. Where are you? Nowhere. And they're on a golf course. So they got they got found out. Um, and that's what happened there with the, the golf course. You could see you you could see on Sunday even. I know it's a, you know, he's forty years of age now, but you could see on Sunday the touch and the goal he scored and sometimes kind of picking a pass, but you know, he, he didn't want to run around. Um didn't look like he was um built to to run around, should I say, to try to be kind. And again, I don't know if it was a, I don't know if it was a application thing or if it was just a natural, his natural fitness thing. But he never struck me as someone who could um, get around the pitch. He never had much pace or kind of stamina. And I know it's not everything, but I think when you're playing professionally, if if you don't have that ability, especially as the game's been developing over the last twenty years, sometimes you can't get away with unless you are absolutely top of the game you can't really get away with not being able to get yourself around the park too much but yes it, yes it's a shame because he obviously had talent but you know what hearts then St Johnston he had a few loan spells breaking east five Berwick, clyde pennycook and kind of petered out to a career which was yeah not the the best but you know he he played he played for hearts set up a cracking goal in a derby so could have been time yeah, it, it can be timing yeah. with these players, eh? Because if you think of a Craig Levine team, it, it, you know, he needed a lot of drive and a lot of energy for his midfield because his teams tended to go from back to front. So it was vital that they were able to get themselves across the park. Uh, so I think, you know, maybe a different manager, a different time frame, it might have worked out for him. Uh, because he definitely, I mean, that, that Easter Road game, he, he set up both the goals. He was superb that night for the 10 minutes that he was on. Uh, but he just, it just never... It never turned into anything, you know. He never really got a run of games. He was at the club for another, I think, another three years after that game. But he, 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 you know, he would come in once or twice, and then you wouldn't see him again for another few months. Let's have a look what everyone else was up to um, at the the weekend. How do people pass their time when hearts aren't playing? Uh, Odd shaped balls says watching rugby and lying on the beach sometimes simultaneously. <laughs> Uh, Sydney Divine says I escaped everything hearts related and revisited the Lions Fountain in Florence and they're looking forward to the game on Saturday so there's someone who's maybe had a reset looking forward to the game again John Cleland spent the weekend forgetting hearts even exists for a few days no masters no Twitter nothing bliss four games into new season must be some sort of record even for us to have a large portion of our fan base absolutely scunnered uh, Jam Tart says NFL is back baby another team to ruin my weekends uh, Harry Temple was screaming at the Edinburgh Derby of course I mentioned that the women's team lost 1-0 unfortunately in their Derby uh, S Jenks watched Arniston versus Knitton man of the match performance from Neil Kemp who was on Hearts Books uh, Flitch, no football for a change, watched Scotland getting beat at the Rugby World Cup, discovered I don't know much about the rules, like most of the referees getting geared up for the Dons on Saturday, come on the hearts. Uh, Brian Chapman said, went to the Big Hearts Gala on Saturday, watched Hearts Legends in action as well, good weekend, good point Brian, you should mention that, um, well done to everyone who uh, put on the Big Hearts Gala, looked like a cracking night with Alexa Mark DeVries, Paul Hartley, Darren Barr in attendance, Kevin McCann avoided football together. Says, funny how nice the weekend can be without hearts ruining it. Um, Kevin Rudge, uh, Kimlin Jr.'s too. Uh, Dunny, is it Dunny Pass or Dunny Pace? Dunny Pace. 
Dilly pace, isn't it? Four. So another junior game. That's always a good thing as well. You know, I'm you know obviously joshing with the uh, the Musselburgh Penny Cook result, but I really like that. You know, people go to a, you know a lower league game or a junior game when when their side aren't playing. I would have gone. I did have family visiting, so I obviously went to the game on a Sunday. But I would have gone to that Musselburgh game on a Saturday if it wasn't for that. So it's always a good thing to do. Um, Jerry Campbell enjoyed watching Scotland and Cyprus. Mark Smith said, I'd watch my daughter make the last eight of the Scottish Cup with Glasgow girls under 14 on Saturday, then watching the under 16 team win the League Cup on Sunday. Good stuff, Mark. Well done to your, your daughter for uh, getting to the last eight. Hopefully, they can carry on. Um, Scottish guy was watching Chelsea Legends uh, against Bayern, a relaxing weekend for once. So there you go. Some people are passing the time doing other things. And other people were still wanting to get a chance to to mention Hearts. Tony said, something I'd like you guys to discuss in the back of Mark's comments. We are more reactive than proactive. I agree. I think the Hibs guy is a good appointment, sadly. Very quickly, before we move on to Hearts stuff, what do you think of that then? Mark, Hibs have changed manager. I have to say at the start of the season, a little bit of my comfort blanket around Hibs as we went into the new campaign was that I knew, I felt like we almost all knew that Lee Johnson would not work at some point. That would kind of all come crashing down. But they've made a move quite early and they've got Nick Montgomery in. Um, what do you reckon of that? Well, I'm not going to be a hypocrite now and say I don't think it'll work when I, on this podcast, suggested that he was someone that we look at. I just like his style and I was really intrigued by the comments from his uh, owner, his chairman. Um, in Australia, who was suggesting that he thought one day that Nick Montgomery would manage in, in the English Premier League. Now, of course, that's like um, training ground internationals. That's like hyperbole from owners and chairmen when they sign someone and it's just like the second coming and they were the only one to spot them. So, yeah, there was certainly high praise from from his um, from his owner and from his chief exec in Australia. Um, 4-4-2 is it's the style of football that, that he plays. Um, he's very much a, a manager who sees what he has when he goes in somewhere and then tries to adjust based on that rather than going in saying, right, I play 4-2-3-1. I'm going to try and fit these um, pieces that don't really make sense into a jigsaw that won't really fit. So we'll wait and see. Um, I hope it's a bad appointment. And then we can say, well, thank goodness we didn't go down that road. But I do have a concern that it will be a good appointment. And if it is then it's another stick to beat the Hearts board with. <laughs> Obviously early days and we'll have to see how it pans out. But were you surprised, Scott, that they made a move so early or was it just what we'd all expecting really from um, Lee Johnson? No, I, I, I get the impression that Hibs have been wanting to make this move for a few months. Maybe not so much in terms of bringing in McDubbery, but I think ushering Lee Johnson out the door. I think that that little run of form that he managed to get uh, sort of post-split probably took them by surprise and it meant that they couldn't really make the change then. They've then gave him some money. They've then sort of allowed him these opening few games, but when it looked apparent again that he just couldn't get a tune out of some of these players that they've invested a lot of money in, I think they thought, well, now's the right time to sort of pull the trigger. So, yeah, I, I think this has actually been in the works for some time. I have to admit, I was very impressed with his uh, press conference at the start of the week when he was unveiled. I think although he isn't of Australian descent, 
he seems to have almost acquired that sort of no nonsense sort of BS that you've you've sort of heard for the likes of Postacoglu in their press interviews, where it was very much not falling foully using too much football terminology, which was naturally something that Lee Johnson was very guilty of. He talked a lot about, you know, players should be privileged to play for the club. Uh, so he definitely wants to sort of set demands that Hibs are a big club that people should aspire to play for. And I was really disappointed that Hibs didn't go in for McInnes or Robinson because what I was hoping they were going to do was make a very sort of short-term appointment. So someone who had experience of the game here would come in and shore up their defence in the short term, but would ultimately fall foully this whole sort of Hibs myth, the Hibs way again. And just like Jack Ross, when performances, sorry, when results don't come in, there's then more sort of a spotlight on the fact that the, the football's not exactly the most aesthetically pleasing. So I was hoping they were going to go down that route. The fact that they haven't has left me a little bit concerned, but I, I, I don't know. There's there's something about, a, a, similar to us just now, there's something about the culture within the club where you just think, is it just made for people to come in and fail? Is there issues still with recruitment? Because Lee Johnson still seems to be suggesting that he didn't have full autonomy on that. Whether that's correct or not, we don't know. But again, it's going to be interesting to see how how he sort of adapts to the game over here and then how he you know, forges a relationship with Brian McDermott because that's obviously something that's going to have to be of significant importance as well. But on the face of it, it is an interesting uh, capture and I can understand why Hibs fans are, are excited at the moment. I don't want to give praise to, to, to our rivals, but I, I don't have any issues whatsoever with Scottish football teams thinking outside the box. Because it's so easy, as Scott mentioned, you could just go... Now, look, getting Derek McInnes for a team, and I don't know which team that would be, would, would give you one of two things. It would it would give you a manager that knows the league, and it would also give you the chance to weaken one of your rivals. Um, I'm not suggesting Hibs do that, or Hearts do that, or anything like that. But I just... Again, with, with the situation we find ourselves in, has the Daniel Stendhal appointment and what happened with him put us off gambling um, that that type of appointment is is something that might work, but after what happened with Daniel Stendhal, it's it's not something that is is perhaps yeah. worth the risk. What, what do you I, reckon? I think I was. I as you were speaking there, one thing that was popping into my head there is I think a lot of it depends on the recent history of that club or that particular board at that club. And I think yes. with Hearts, you know, they went down the, obviously they started with Robbie Nielsen, which was kind of the promoting from within the young coach that could men, then become a good manager. And it worked. And they, they kind of tried it again with Ian Cathro, someone who no proven management experience, but was already coaching and well-renowned and then it didn't work. I think that's why they did that search and they ended up with Craig Levine who was obviously at the club and it was like, oh, we're going to play it safe and we're going to go with someone who's knows the club, is experienced and stuff. It's not the most exciting move and it worked initially. It settled things, but ultimately didn't work out. And then they kind of tried again. They looked outside the box a little bit with Daniel Stendhal who he'd had success in England to be fair. So it's maybe not hugely outside the box, but it was a popular appointment. Someone with a very exciting philosophy and I think the fact that that didn't work out you know it kind of it was almost the reset it's like okay we've got Robbie Nielsen who knows the club now is an established manager knows Scotland he's effective he's 
he's done well in the league that we're now going to be playing in. So I think there is that element of the likes of you know Stendhal, maybe even the Cathro one as well, because that was a bit of a risk because it was someone who hadn't um, who hadn't proven himself too much. I mean, I guess the similarities were could be with Naismith, albeit the fact that Naismith was a player. But I think you think with Aberdeen as well, there's probably similar things going on there with um, with what they've had recently because you know Jim Goodwin was, I thought, quite a sensible appointment for them. You know, it was one where I was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't think, why wow, Jim Goodwin, the Aberdeen are going to suddenly blow everyone away. But I thought that's a sensible appointment, someone who's already cut his teeth, and he's done very well in in with a team in that league. Maybe not at the end, but he done a, a reasonable job, and it just didn't work out. So they tried something again, slightly different with Barry Robson, who was already there. So I, I guess it does depend. Um, I would like to see us look outside the box depending how this one goes i'm hoping it's not going to all come crashing down too soon but if it did if this one doesn't work out between now and well i was going to say the end of the season or even shorter then i would like us to think outside the box a little bit uh how long how long are you giving them that's the thing well, we'll get to that last because thing about the short about the short leash, and I know, like we're trying to, we're trying our best to come up with topics and discussion points, but it kind of all goes back about the the decision that's been made, and has there ever been the appointment from within that has been anything other than safe? Well, we'll, we'll get to that because we, we've we've talked about a few things and we've talked about Hebs and stuff like that. But it's a hard podcast, so let's we'll move on and we'll 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 start afresh in a new segment and we'll focus on hearts. Yes, Dad. Forrest Hepburn and McDonald have been making creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. For more, visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. Right. Okay. Let's let's get to it. So it's it's the big talking point. Of course, is now going to be the Aberdeen game coming up. Both Scott and I spoke on the last podcast about the sort of change in structure and the fact that now Stephen Smith was officially in charge with Frankie McAvoy now as assistant, which was the setup at the end of last season. It wasn't officially the setup at the start of this season, although. We all kind of understood reading between the lines of what we heard that that was still the case. But there has been that reshuffle. And now we have the first game after that, a break from the international period. Now, Mark, you didn't get a chance to have your say on this last time, but I'm going to ask you a question which you kind of touched upon just there before we came to this segment. How long... How, how long is the, the the management structure now getting, and when will this come to a head? Because obviously there was a lot of disgruntlement after recent results. You know, I I know a lot of people. There's a lot of shouting on social media, and it doesn't always represent the majority. But a few people felt like drastic action was required, and I I understood it. It felt like we were going sideways and then backwards since Robbie Nielsen left. Really, when will this? I guess become a serious problem. Is it? You know, we've got Aberdeen at home coming up. Then we've got St Mirren away. I mentioned parallels for me with the international break last season before Robbie left. And I know Robbie had far, far longer at the club, but we were on a poor run. We came back after a two-week break. It didn't improve Kilmarnock and then St Mirren, two defeats, and that was the end of it. We've got Aberdeen and then St Mirren. 
what happens if Hearts end up with zero points from those two games? Well, where do we stop? Do we sack managers after every bad run of, of form? I think it's important on this podcast, and we've said it before, I don't have a problem with, with the whole mea culpa approach. If you screw up, you say something wrong, you can let it go and hope no one brings it up. But I want to go back to something I said prior to the St Mirren game, the end of last season, which was ultimately Robbie Nielsen's last game in charge. I was pretty adamant beforehand that I did not see a way that Robbie Nielsen would be fired if they lost that game. Uh, I thought he was in trouble, but I just didn't see the board uh, pulling the trigger. Um, I think there was a, a myriad of, of reasons why they decided that was the case. There was the, the disenchantment and the disgruntlement among the supporters, which was very audible towards the end of the game after the final whistle. Um, so that showed that this is a, a board at Heart Midlothian Football Club that can and will make decisions um, when they feel that they've reached they've reached a point where we can't go any further. Okay, bearing that in mind, to your question, they also cannot be seen as a board that got rid of Robbie Nielsen, appointed Stephen Naismith on a caretaker capacity with Frankie McAvoy and Gordon Forrest, then changed the structure, then realised that Shit, because of UEFA, that's got to stay. Then changed it again, with this being the first match, that the new structure with Stephen Naismith calling the shots is going to be the case. Aberdeen at home, St Mirren, Kilmarnock, Ross County away, Hibernian at home. I haven't even looked at the next page as to who, who we've got after that. Where do we go from here if the run of results continue? Do we have a board that keep deciding we're going to make changes or do we have a board that say regardless we're keeping with with what we have because we've got to be careful here the last thing we want when we know we've got a pot of gold waiting at the end of the rainbow at the end of the season for finishing third the last thing we want is to be battling to get into the top six because right now the form of defeat at Dundee and a defeat at home to Motherwell if Aberdeen win at Tynecastle to become the first away team to win in this fixture since they did so in May 2017 when they won 2-1 at Tynecastle. It's not a case of calling for heads, but I think we will see, rather than talk about who's going to go and when are they going to go and are they going to stay and who's making the decisions, I think I think we need a period of, of kind of just sit back a little bit and see if anything's changed over the next month or two. Because if nothing has changed, then there has to be a decision to make and if that decision has to be made I hope it isn't the case but if we continue with the run that we're on that puts the board in a very difficult position as to to what to do next it won't happen though we'll beat Aberdeen we'll get a result at St Mirren we'll go through against Kilmarnock and then we'll look back and go remember prior to that Aberdeen game we were all worried about what was going to happen I can't start this whole show and say I'm going to be positive and then go into a negative no. diatribe. So we're going to beat Aberdeen and there's going to be no issue whatsoever and Stephen Naismith's reign is going to get off to a, a perfect permanent start. And that's we're football fans. So, you know, four, four defeats on the bounce. We want everyone sacked. And then we'll win three in a row and we'll say that we're going to win the league. That's, that's how it works, isn't it? One extreme to another. Um, so Hearts Aberdeen, you, you, you mentioned a good point there about the last time there's been an away winner. So it's 18 matches between Hearts and Aberdeen without an away winner. 
between the sides. This is very much a home-dominated fixture. Yeah, not since that May 2017 game. Uh, the final game in front of the old main stand have we seen either Hearts or Aberdeen win away to the other. Uh, Scott, uh, looking ahead to this game, I know you posted on Twitter with a potential team for the game. You were getting some feedback on this. So let's talk about the football, what's going to happen on the field a little bit rather than what's kind of going on off it right now. So what is your team for this game? And obviously bearing in mind that we now might not have Alex Cochran. Yeah, I, when I was putting the team forward, I did. I definitely sort of put down, you know, for full disclosure that it's not. This isn't the team I'm expecting to see on Saturday because I, I think there's just too much of a a radical change to see us do that. Uh, I think it's a it's going to be a very sort of nervous match on Saturday for both sides. You know, you've got two sides who maybe in some respects would both be quite happy with a draw. So it is going to be quite sort of tentative, uh, and I don't know whether the lineup that they'll go with might be a reflection of that. For me, we've got a few issues just now in terms of system and certain individuals. So how do we get the best out of some of these players? So take Natty Atkinson, for example. He looked far more comfortable when we pushed him further up and we switched to a three at the back in the second half against Motherwell. Uh, so I would really consider a sort of 3-4-3, three, 3-5-2 three, three, five, five, to try and get the best out of him. I think you've got to try and fit Toby Civic into that back line just now because we need someone who is capable of bringing the ball out from the back and almost encouraging opposition players to come out of their shape. We don't have that just now in Kent and Rolls. Uh, so, again, that was a bit of my thinking behind sort of going with a back three of Rolls left side, Civic right side, and then Kent playing that kind of central role. Uh, I also felt that, you know, for everything that Devlin and Haring can offer us, they're not that great at sort of breaking the lines in terms There's of making no runs or playing forward passes. Yeah, so it's uh, for me, uh, again, he's a much maligned figure, but I think George Grant definitely deserves an opportunity to play in a sort of midfield three. And then I had the idea of, initially it was Cochran, uh, Cochran wide left, and then maybe Atkinson or maybe even Vargas, if people felt that was too defensive, going with Atkinson there, sort of playing as high up the park as they can, with sort of Shanklin and Boyce as the, the two main focal points up top, because as much as we've signed players who have pace for those forward areas, a team like Aberdeen, going on how they've set up traditionally under Barry Robson since he came in, they very much like to have that sort of low block, defend their 18-yard box and then try and hit teams on the break because they've got a lot of pace and a lot of athleticism from sort of the midfield going forward. So there's seldom going to be much space for someone like Tagawa or Oda or even Vargas to try and exploit. What, really, what we really need to try and do on Saturday is try and unlock that defence, get a goal in front, and then if they decide to sort of maybe press the game or press higher in the second half, you've got players that can come off the bench and then can add some real value. But unfortunately, do I think they'll go with that? No, I think they'll go with something quite similar to what we've seen. A lot of the chat in recent weeks has been around playing twice a week, playing after the European games, and I think Naismith and McAvoy are putting a lot of hope 
into the fact that our lethargic performances on a Sunday have been due to the travel or the sort of excursions he's playing on the Thursday. So I don't think there is going to be a lot of personnel or system changes on Saturday. I think they'll play with a four at the back and I think they'll play a similar sort of team to what they have been. And their hope will be that there's a freshness off the back of the, the international break that will filter through the team and bring a more sort of energetic performance. But that, to me, would be a concern. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the the last time we, we played Aberdeen and it was one of the two performances, really, that got Stephen Naismith the job. You know, the 6-1 win against Ross County and then the 2-1 win against Aberdeen at home. And we, we really dominated that game after... Aberdeen had gone ahead. There was just you know, chance after chance for Hearts, and it could have been more than the scoreline um, in the end, which was just the one goal uh, margin between the two sides. It was the four-two-three-one system. I look back, and it was Clark and goals for that one. Cochrane, Atkinson, left and right back, Rolls and Sibic in the centre, Haring and Devlin sitting, Mackay, Shanklin, Oda, the supporting three to Josh Janelli. So, I mean, the, the big gap there, I suppose, is the person who's left the club. Which is Josh Janelli. We've struggled to kind of replace him. So I was going to, I was going to kind of simplify it a little bit more, which goes slightly against what Scott said there about the fact that maybe Aberdeen will try that low block and it maybe will restrict this, the space for players to get forward. But looking at that team, Kent in for roles, I'd want to see maybe Sibic alongside Kent at the back. If Cochrane's not there, I'd put Kingsley in. But in terms of that system, I'd quite like to see us try and replicate what we did when it worked well under Naismith and it worked well a few times under Robbie as well with someone with pace ahead of Shankland in that system. I, I would maybe like to see Tagawa get another shot at it. I know some people will be saying he's not shown much to really suggest that it'll work yet, but I think it's early days. So you're going to have Oda in there. Maybe Mackay's not playing. I, I'd maybe go complete, go for that pace and directness and have... Vargas in, have Tagawa in, have Oda in, two of them either side of Shanklin and one of them maybe ahead of him, maybe Tagawa ahead of him, Vargas and Oda either side. What do you think, Mark? Am I, am I trying to cling on to a system that worked because Josh Janelli was there and and we need to kind of, kind of get past that? Or can we recapture what seemed to work in those games that kind of got Naismith into a point where the fans were quite keen on him getting a shot? Hmm. I was looking at a few things while you were talking and also um, prior to this podcast about Hearts under Stephen Naismith. And from what I can see, and please both correct if I'm wrong, every single formation that he has selected, whether it's him or Frankie McAvoy, but for, for want of kind of uh, ease of argument here, it's been a 4-2-3-1 all the time. So can either of you remember any other formation that, that he has played? Because I certainly can't well, find any. So he always starts with that. But in the last two or three games, he switched two or three times during the game. So right. to me, there's an indication that it isn't working because we generally seem to switch to a back three or we have done at least in the last two or three matches. So yeah. that's why I'm thinking, start with that, you know? Just yeah. I, I think just now, again, this is what I'm hoping they're doing, but it's not just about Saturday. Saturday's kind of also an addition to see how much time he's going to get for the fans after that. And I know the result will be a big part of that, but also if the fans were to see there being a change in style, a change in sort of maybe certain individuals getting a bit of game time, they would then see that there's maybe hope for the future. 
I think if we play a similar system and similar team to we have been, and there's a poor result off of that, it's going to be really difficult to win the fans back. Yeah, Whereas if if we're aggressive and and Laurie's right, you know, if we play a lot of pace up top, the fans will like to see that. They'll at least see that there's a an, an attacking intent, so they'll understand what we're trying to achieve, even if we don't, you know, even if the theory doesn't turn into the practical, so to speak. So I do think there's a lot about, you know, team selection and, and individual selection that, that needs to go just past Saturday. It needs to be an indication to the fans that lessons have been learned for these past couple of months and that they're maybe going to try something a little bit different. I don't, yeah. Sorry, Laurie, I don't know why or, or what gives me this idea that I, I just, I totally agree with Scott there. And I, I think Stephen Naismith will want to put his stamp on... First of all, the formation, the team, and it look it's, it's very hard to say. I think he'll change it when he's when he's shown no signs of actually starting um, with anything else but a four. But I, I just I think a three might be beneficial for a couple of reasons. One, I think it takes the pressure a little bit off of Kai Rolls. And I read a quote from Graham Arnold over the international break saying, I've seen Kai play many times in a back three. So I've asked him a simple question. Show me how you can play in a back four. And obviously he's played him as a left back. I think you could play Frankie Kent, Toby Civic and Kai Rolls. Um, as your back three, depending on the situation with Cochrane, depending on what's happened with Kingsley. I wonder if you might see, and this is going back to, oh, well, fine, we definitely know that Stephen Naismith is in charge now. I wonder if you'll see someone like um, Andy Halliday playing as a left wing back. Now, the reason I'm kind of suggesting that he might play a three is because Aberdeen played two up with one off. They play Miofsky and Duke, and certainly started against Hibbs. With um with that pair up front with Jamie McGrath just in behind. So if we're playing a four, then you're asking whether it's Devlin or Haring or whoever to be just as uh, alert as to what McGrath's going to do. Um, and if you do play wing backs, then I think you can try nullify Devlin on one side and whoever plays left side, if it's McGarry or or whoever, and try and push them back. It's not a case of picking a team based on on the opposition. But it is a, a case of trying to maybe one or two little tweaks that that can prove that what's happened so far hasn't been good enough. Because what are we doing here? We're just putting different players in the same formation that that doesn't work. And as as you both have quite rightly said, if if we lose the game and continue to lose with four two three one, how long are we going to wait before something has to change? So that's my prediction. I think I, I'm probably wrong, but I think we might go a three at the back. Um, this weekend um, and change things up a little bit. Okay. I'd be interested to see if that does pan out. Yeah, I think he, he he tended to go with the four all the time. A lot of games it was pretty much a 4-4-2. I know the 4-2-3-1 and 4-4-2 can interchange. I think a few games he, it was almost like an old-fashioned 4-4-2, the way the, the kind of lines were set up. But you're right, it's, it's always been a four has been the preference, certainly at the start of games for um, Stephen A. Smith slash Frankie McAvoy since they've they've taken over. But I mean, looking at the game, obviously, you know, Hearts four defeats in a row in all competitions. But Aberdeen are four without a win in all competitions. And league-wise, one win in nine dating back to last season for Aberdeen. And they've put a lot of money into the this team, this campaign. Hearts did that a little bit, but I feel like Aberdeen have got to step up with how much they're investing. There's obviously a lot of new players to, to kind of bed in for them, but I don't know if we call it pressure yet, but I don't know if this is a game where 
Barry Robson's got much room to come to Tynecastle and sort of sit in and and play a very cautious and defensive um, lineup. And then if they lose that, they're on a run of that's ten league games with just one win in those, and it's five league games without a win at the start of the season. Do you not think, Scott? There's a little bit of I didn't want to say pressure, but you know, there's going to be an onus on. Barry Robson and Aberdeen not just to come to Tynecastle and play a way that I know for a fact from knowing a lot of their fans that they got frustrated when McInnes came to Tynecastle and maybe treated Hearts with more respect than they felt they should and I think Hearts fans would feel the same about maybe Robin Nielsen's Hearts going to Pataudry Yeah it's it's sort of interesting when you watch how Aberdeen Hearts and to an extent Hibs set up against other sides in in the Premier League yes we have a a larger budget than than any club out with of the old firm. But it's not to the extent that we can really, really come up with something that's 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 sort of revolutionary in, in terms of sort of tactics. So I always felt that with Barry Robson's initial sort of new manager bounce last year that couldn't sustain over a full season. I watched how they set up Naturally got to see them up quite close at Tynecastle, but in other games as well. And I did think that there was huge question marks over how he was going to manage to do that over a full year. Over a short term, it was fine. He managed to shore up the defence. They also had, you know, Pollock, who I think they've definitely missed. He was a big reason why they, they, they kind of excelled in that second half of the season, especially from a defensive point of view. So... Looking at Aberdeen just now, as much as they probably should have a bit of a go at Hearts, I do think he doesn't know how to set up his team any other way because this is pretty much how he does it. Home and away, this is how Aberdeen play. They play to hit teams on the break and it's, you know, when it works, it works. You know, I've seen some of the goals that they've scored and, that you know, they've got a lot of talent. I mean, having McGrath and uh, Clarkson, you know, pulling the strings for midfield with Shinny playing in behind them. That's a really good midfield and they've got plenty of threat up top. But I don't think they're getting the most out of those players just now. And I'd be surprised if I saw any major changes from them on Saturday. Scott, quick question for you. With the players that we have available, if you're picking the best hearts formation with who we have, what formation is it? I think for me... it probably would be a sort of three-five-two just now, and in terms of the players that we've got, I I'm not a huge fan of playing three at the back. Uh, I think it offers up far too many opportunities to the other teams. And if you think back to when we played it under Robbie that first season that we came up uh, a couple of years back, if you were to watch a lot of those games back, you would see that Craig. Hot- Gordon had a huge hand in us finishing third that season. Maybe didn't think that much of it at the time, but playing three at the back, no matter what the team are and what league you play in, you're always going to offer up opportunities to the other team. So it's not a formation I like as a general really firm, but if you look at individuals like Atkinson, Rolls, uh, the issue that we've got in terms of trying to get somebody in midfield who's maybe a bit more comfortable in taking the ball in tight spaces, and maybe trying to get the best out of Boyce and Shanklin properly up top, I think it's the best formation to go with just now. Even although long-term, when we get other individuals back, like Mackay, uh, maybe Neuenhoff settles, I would like to see something more akin to a 4-2-3-1. Uh, but at the moment, it would be a 3-5-2 for me. 
You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Before we go, we will uh, get to a prediction for this weekend's game as Heart of Midlothian host Aberdeen at Tynecastle. Before that, I wanted to briefly put some homework out there because we haven't really done this an awful lot in recent weeks, but I know a lot of people do like to get involved in these. And one that's come up before probably, and I'm going to be rehashing it a little, but we're almost 300 episodes into this podcast. So we're we're, we're at that point. We're going to have to get homework out there more than once. But as we were talking about, you know, Neil Janchik and could he have done better? Could he have, did he have the, he had the talent, but didn't quite make it. So I want to go, the players that could have played a higher level or you know they had the talent to do more than what they did in their career or I want to go as extreme as you know even one of your mates the the player you know who says oh I once had a trial with once had a trial with Millwall could have could have made it or the one who uh, had the talent he's like everyone always goes oh he could have could have played professionally you know he's a good player but ends up just like playing you at Montrose no not like me at Montrose I was not a very good player um, I, I, I like to put in a put in quite a bit of effort but um, I was not a gifted player. I was the other end of the scale. I'm talking to the guys who probably, it's the type of guy usually who uh, has loads of technical ability, but just has too much fun going out the weekend and can't be arsed with training. So ends up just playing maybe juniors or something. But every now and again, someone says, oh, you know, he was on the books, uh, he was on the books of Celtic once. I could have done it. He was, could have, could have, could have made it. That type of, that type of story. So, the players that could have made it but didn't, or the players that could have gone on to play at a higher level than what they did, or didn't quite reach their potential. We've we've done this once before, but let us know at around the funnel on Twitter or X, whatever it's called these days, or you could email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. So that'll be the fun side of things for next time. But we will, of course, talk about Hearts and Aberdeen. So before then. Let's get to predictions. So, will it be redemption for Hearts, Mark? Will it be the dawn of the Naismith era, Mark II? Will it properly be happening now? We'll see that change. We'll get a great performance and a great result. What what are you going for in this one at Tynecastle? <laughs> I don't think we'll get a great performance. I'd settle for a win. I don't care about the performance in this first game. I just if that comes with it, then then wonderful. Uh, I'm going to predict Hearts two, Aberdeen one, and Frankie Kent to be among the goals. Okay, interesting, interesting. I'm just I'm going to try and I'm like that uh, the Mister Beam meme that you see doing the rounds, but he's trying to copy someone's homework because I haven't thought about this yet. So I'm going to ask Scott next and see what he thinks <laughs> for a scoreline and a scorer. And I'll I'll peer over his shoulder and try and work out what I'm going to go with. Show your um, working, Scott. Show your workings. <laughs> I, I'm really concerned uh, oh, about Saturday. Uh, Scott, you're my beacon of hope. I, I know. It, it, <laughs> it's really difficult, but I'm just... <laughs> don't. Don't. Come on. Beacon of nope. I... I honestly think we're going to lose 2-1. Oh, definitely. Oh, you don't do that on this podcast. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's some sort of reverse way because I wasn't getting much positive results right at the start of the season. I'm we, hoping it'll come back to... Five years getting anything right. Come on. I'm hoping it'll come back to haunt me in some weird positive way. Oh, uh, I just have a weird feeling that we're going to stick with what we've been doing 
and I, I just I, I can't see where we get a result for that. I'm sorry, <laughs> you've ruined my week. I'm not copying you. I'm not. I'm going to copy your answers, and then I'll fail the test, and I'll blame you. Can't <laughs> go with a defeat. Jesus, I hope it's a revert. So we're going to lose two one. Did you say? Yeah. Who's going to this score our these, consolation goal? Scarves around the granite. Come on. Uh, so it's not going to be the <laughs> consolation goal. I think the way it'll go is they'll go in front. We'll oh, we'll get in, we'll get back and uh, and then they'll go up the park and score. Uh, <laughs> Lauren Shanklin will be our goal scorer. Jesus, Who else? Yeah. Scarves Dunsa. around the sheep. Um, unbelievable. Dunsa, get us out of this mire. Well, yeah, I'm definitely not. I'm, I'm going to have to go positive now. I'm going to have to go with the Hearts win because I always do. Let's let's go with. Let's go with three one hearts. Yeah, we're not we're not looking as tight at the back as we should, but we'll we're going to be open. We're going to be the kind of nasy ball that we saw in those nasy games at the end of last season. Yeah, that that got everyone excited. Where we played with a bit more freedom, and I think it's one of the things that I can't remember if I mentioned it on this podcast or the other podcast I was on um, with Craig Fowler. But I don't know if there's been that kind of more reserved approach now from the management team because they've got the gig. You know, last season it was almost like, right, I've got six, seven games to audition for the job, so I've got to go for it. We've got to show something exciting, something attacking, whereas now it's okay, well, now we've got the job, it's a new season, we're going to have to reel it in a little bit and be a bit more safe. I want to see more risks taken, more players getting forward, more runs in behind, more forward-thinking passes. So attacking, open game, 3-1 hearts, Kenneth Vargas is going to get his first goal and Scott's going to be banned from coming back on the podcast. Was that upbeat enough? Regardless of the result. <laughs> no, Scott talks too much sense to ban him. If we lose 2-1, there's even more reason for him not to come back on because then he predicted it right and it's going to be his fault. <laughs> now, I've got myself up for it. I'm, I'm buzzing now. Beat Aberdeen. We'll be on a run and, and all will be well and we'll forget about this period of... of Glumness. So my role of devil's advocate worked in because to combat my pessimism, you've become uber positive. So yeah, for now you. I've kind of got the adrenaline pumping. I mean, you're might, welcome. I, <laughs> Ten minutes after I come off this, I'll be, I'll be like, oh God, Scott's <laughs> probably right, isn't he? No, but he's not going to be. We're going to end that four-game losing streak and we're going to come back with a win, and we'll, we'll firing up that table because it's only going to be five games in and suddenly the table changes very quickly so let's hope Mark or myself are right unfortunately history's proven that we're often not right but you never know we'll um, we'll see what happens we'll take any kind of win of course for Heart Midlothian if you have anything to to raise with us or to get in touch with us about in the meantime or after the game even if it's just to say you idiots you predicted a wrong um, result again, it's all our fault, then f- feel free, I've mentioned before, at Around the Funnel on X, still want to call it Twitter, and email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. Until next time, goodbye and enjoy your weekend, maybe in spite of hearts, but hopefully because of hearts. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? A dollar and a half just to see them Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you've got Till it's gone They pay paradise